This morning we are kicking off a brand new series titled Battle. In our faith, we believe in the fact that the things that are happening in the metaphysical impact the physical. The things that are happening in the spiritual are impacting the material. This is our faith. The scripture teaches us that we do not battle with flesh and blood, but rather we battle with principalities in the spiritual realms. This is our faith. This is how we believe as Christians that there's a spiritual battle raging in the world around us. At any given moment, you see there is this good and evil. Jesus Christ competing with the devil. Many people have this vision of an angel and a devil sitting on a shoulder in our ears trying to compete for us. And ultimately, we believe this in many senses. But today, as we kick off this series on battle, I want to do something in such a manner that I would equip you to be great soldiers in the army of God. We have a tendency at times to use the idea of spiritual warfare and we come at it in a very mystical kind of attempt to describe the demonic attacks that come against us. And I'm not against that and I believe very much in those efforts, but today I want to make it so practical and so helpful that everyone under the sound of my voice would begin to thwart the attacks of the enemy in a profound and powerful way. That if you're in this room and you're a teenager, if you're under the sound of my voice and you're a young adult or maybe you've been following after Jesus for many, many years, at the end of our time together, you would have a practical handle on how to defeat the attacks of the enemy. That is my goal. Now, when we look at the series battle, we're gonna have three different sermons that will be presented to you. I am the first sermon in this series, and each sermon will discuss the when, they will discuss the what and the why, and we'll discuss the how. And so those will be the three kind of elements that we will look at as we kind of dive into this study on spiritual battle. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the when. When are you in a spiritual battle? How do you know? Does the demon show up and knock on the door and say, let me in, I'm here to attack you? Or is there a certain sense that comes about? Does the room just get darker because evil is present? How do you know that you're in a spiritual battle? We're gonna talk about that today. Because I believe if you are aware, you can adjust. And if we know when, then we can prepare accordingly and we can thwart the attacks that the devil is attempting to put at our doorsteps and no longer shall he win. I said that for someone maybe in the back. No longer shall the devil win in your life, in our lives as Christians. He has no place here. We're going to look at a passage of scripture found in Philippians chapter four. If you have your Bibles, whether they glow or they are paper, please open them up to Philippians chapter four. As you're opening up there, I want to encourage you that today might be a day that you take notes if you don't normally take notes. I believe that the power of what I'm going to share with you is something that you need to have for the remainder of your time here on earth. It's something that you need to write down for the moments that the battle will rage around you from this moment forward. And so please, look at this as a moment that we're kind of creating a field guide. We're coming together, and I'm giving you the information you need as we step out into battle. So you need to write these things down. That is my encouragement to you today. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. This is the Apostle Paul 
writing to us from prison. And he's writing to the Philippian church to give them some information that they need as they walk out their faith. Through the course of his book to the church in Philippi, he continues to proclaim the gospel, that Jesus Christ is central to everything that he says and does. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus is everything to me, he says. In this passage that we're going to read in the NIV, they give it a heading and they call it his final exhortations, his final challenge, his final command to us as those that will read it. And he says, this is something you need to pay attention to. So in verse four, it says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation... By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to help us to see Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. My son is 16 years old, but he recently received the opportunity to dual enroll. This is new because when I was in school, uh, you could not go to high school and college simultaneously, especially at this age, maybe towards your senior year, but he's not even there yet. He's just a junior in high school. And my son at 16 is attempting to go to high school, but then leave and go and take college classes. Uh, it makes me feel very old that I already have a kid in college. <laughs> That's weird. But it's a good thing because at 16, ladies and gentlemen, I was not living like my son is right now. <laughs> I was just, they were trying to get me to graduate high school, show up, let alone, you know, to go to college. And so I'm very proud of my son. He's very prepared. He's a very thorough young man. I have four boys, but my oldest is just a natural leader. He just does things different, and he carries himself uh, very maturely. And many of you that might know him, have ever interacted uh, with him, you know that my son like, acts like he's like 30 years old and he's 16. And I'm very proud as a dad. And so recently, as he began this journey to start college, he uh, was preparing. And he came to me one day, and he said, Dad... I got my bag all packed for school. I said, well, that's excellent, son. I'm very proud of you. As a father, I'm, I'm really great with encouragement like that. And so he, he walks out of the room, and I said, wait a minute, come back here. 
I said, when does classes begin? He said, oh, I got about seven to 10 days before classes begin. And I said, you packed your book bag already for college? That, that seems a little much to me. Now, I'm not one who's super duper prepared. I will jump out of the airplane and figure out how to build a parachute on the way down, okay? That is how I live. And so my son is much more like my wife and he's prepared. He's like, dad, no, I got my book bag packed and I'm gonna be ready. I said, okay. Well, the days and the moments would go by through the course of the week leading up to him having class, and he would continue to tell me, Dad, I went ahead and I got this lined out, and I got this taken care of, and this is ready, and his tone began to shift as the day got closer, and I began to think that maybe the preparedness that he thought he had was more like anxiety, because his nerves started to show up in the way that he talked and the things that he began to work on, and he checked his bag, and he checked his bag, and he checked his bag, and he checked his bag again, and he told me every single time that the bag was packed, and I said, son, I feel like maybe you're getting a little nervous, and I want you to just calm down. It'll be fine, and my dad used to say this to me, and I say it to my kids. I said, they can't eat you, okay? You're not going to die. If you don't show up and you forget a pencil, we'll figure that out. And he said, no, dad, I have to be ready. I have to be ready. And his, his tone began to shift. And so the day comes, and I take some time off work to take my son to the college for his first day on campus. And I take him up there, and he's been doing all of this preparation. And I'm pretty sure that it was more nerves than preparation, but he tried to tell me that it was preparation. And as we got to campus, I looked at my son, and I said, son, are you ready? He said, yeah, Dad, I'm all ready. I got everything. I checked it twice. I prepared. It's taken me seven days, ten days. I'm ready to go. I said, okay, son. I said, do you have your ID? Oh, Dad, I forgot my ID. I said, wait a minute, you prepared for seven days in advance, and in the midst of that preparation, you forgot the most important thing, because you can't get on campus into the room to have the class without the ID, and you forgot the most important thing? Yeah, Dad, I forgot it. And I said, see, that's what happens when your mind starts to be consumed with the anxiety of the mission that you have before you. It's the same thing that happens to us spiritually. See, the enemy is such a deceiver that he will actually use the thing you're trying to accomplish to confuse you so much in regards to that mission that you won't accomplish it to begin with. He was packing to prepare to go to college and yet forgot something in preparation. You will attempt to be a good father, but because of the tactics of the enemy, you actually begin to, you'll fail at those things because your perspective and your focus are distracted by the stressors that the enemy puts into place. This is what the enemy does. He begins to confuse us so we forget the focus of the mission. This morning, Paul teaches us how he does it. He shows us the when of when the battle starts. And he tells us in his final exhortation, here's what you need to do to be aware and to defend against the strategies of the enemy. And I've read this passage so many times and I missed it. And so I want you today to see it with me in a fresh light because I want you to write this down because this is the win of when the spiritual battles face your doorstep. If you remember nothing else, remember these two things because every attack, everything that the enemy does falls into these two strategies. This is what he does to us. Are you ready? The enemy will begin his attack and we will know that we are in a spiritual battle and he goes about this by two strategies. The one is, he will feed your pride. The enemy will feed your pride, and the enemy will starve your peace. Never forget that. 
And I'm gonna help you to see it a little bit more in the midst of this passage from Paul. But if we recognize that the enemy is upon us, when we start to feel our pride being fed and our peace being starved, then we can begin to adjust our behavior accordingly and move our weapons in the right position to stop the attacks of the enemy. And we look at this and we see that Paul shares for us this specific nature of pride. And he shares with us the specific nature of peace. And he says, here's what you need to do. And you'll know when these things are taking place, when you feel that your, your pride is being fed and your peace is being removed. You see, pride is noticed when gratitude and serving are absent. Peace is lost when anxiety is prevalent. Now, when we look at the idea of anxiety, before I begin and show you some of this a little bit more in depth, I understand there is situational anxiety. I understand that there is anxiety that is due to mental health and physiological circumstances. Um, some people will just be laying in a bed and feel that anxiety come upon them. And there is also anxiety that comes about just internally because we overthink and it's 4 a.m. and you should be sleeping. And, and, and so whatever the anxiety is, it is still an attempt to starve your peace. Okay? And so when we look at this today, I want you to understand that I'm not attacking anyone that might have anxiety that they take medication for it. But spiritually, how do we prepare for the attacks to starve our peace? The first thing that Paul mentions, and this is the central point to what Paul is helping us to see in the passage, he says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. In our defenses and in these moments of spiritual warfare, never forget that phrase. The Lord is near right now. The Lord is near to you in the darkest of valleys. The Lord is near to you. No matter what the attack looks like, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, the Lord is near. And what that means is the victory is already ours because the Holy Spirit is inside of us and Jesus Christ has already defeated death, hell, and the grave. And so what that means is, is any circumstances, any situation, anything in front of us does not defeat us. But we have victory in Christ Jesus. Many times the enemy will cause us to forget the fact that the Lord is near, like he's distant from us, that he's not involved in the situation, that somehow the sorrow that you feel is separating you from heaven, but is the furthest thing from the truth because victory is ours in Christ Jesus. The Lord is near to me right now. See, the enemy thinks that he can defeat and take my hope from me and cause me to be discouraged because of the circumstances that are in front of me, but my hope is anchored to the fact that Jesus Christ died for me. So even if the enemy kills me, he cannot hurt me because I will be in the presence of my Savior in those moments because Jesus has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And there is no victory for the enemy in our lives. So if the enemy is telling you right now that you are defeated in the name of Jesus Christ, I declare to the, the truth to you this morning, you are victorious in Christ Jesus. You, you cannot live in a discouraged stance when we kept step into these spiritual battles because what ends up happening is the enemy already starts to win in those moments. No matter what you're facing, the Lord is near. Rejoice, the Lord is near. 
pray the Lord is near. And here's the good thing about the fact that the Lord is near. I don't fight with my strength. I fight with his strength. I don't fight with my wisdom. I fight with his wisdom. I do not have to come at this battle in my efforts or my attempts because they are shallow and not very good. But Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit working through me, is fighting this battle for me. The Lord is near. The Lord is near, and that changes things. You walk around with your chest puffed out, your head held high, and now the battle looks different when we as soldiers step onto the battlefield confidently. I am victorious in Christ Jesus. I know at the end of the day, I win the war. I am victorious. The Lord is near. And this is what Paul states from the outset. He says, rejoice, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious, the Lord is near. He puts that in the center. Because Jesus Christ is the center of our strength. When Jesus is present, pride is removed, and peace is filling us. Jesus is the central thing for Paul. He says, Jesus is center for me, not just because he gets me out of hell, not because it's some kind of get out of hell free card. My belief in Jesus is because even now, through the day to day, before I'm in the eternal, I'm living in such a way that there is pride absent from who I am and peace filling me. Because when we look at Jesus, we are filled with peace and it removes pride from who we are. And so he says, the Lord is near. Now looking at the two aspects of the enemy attempting to feed your pride and starve your peace. First, in the aspect of the strategy to feed your pride, Paul says, here's what we're going to do. We're aware of it, and here's our defense mechanism for it. He says, rejoice. Actually, he says at length, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. At the latter portion of the text we read, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. If pride is the beginning of the attack, then gratitude is the defense. If pride is the beginning of the attack on our lives in the midst of a spiritual battle, then gratitude is the defense. If you're taking notes, there are two ways that Paul showcases how we would facilitate this defense. Inside of the idea of rejoice, he says, praise and practice. Praise and practice. Praise God for who you are and what you have. Praise God for what he has done. Praise God for what he is about to do. Praise God when it's easy. Praise God when it's hard. Praise God when it's sunshine. Praise God when it's rain. Praise God when you have a voice. Praise God when you don't have a voice. Praise God in the midst of every single situation, he says. Always rejoice. Praise as a routine is what will create a defense for the attacks on your pride. You'll hear more about praise from Pastor Joey as the series progresses, but we need to recognize in the midst of these moments of singing songs that we don't limit our praise to just a 30-minute time block once a week, but praise must be a part of who we are because the more we praise and we thank God for everything in our lives, we say, Father, where would I be without you? I cannot do it myself. I need you in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. And the more that comes out of us, the more that we proclaim that, the more we live in that stand 
The easier it is for us to be humble and recognize without God, where would I be? Pride cannot be present when praise is happening. Genuine praise, when you're praising God for who he is in our lives, when you're declaring his lordship over everything we say and do, then there cannot be pride in that same space because there's no way you can look at God and look at yourself and somehow compare who you are to our creator. It does not work. He is above us. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. He is everything. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. And he loves me. And he picks me. And he chooses me. In the midst of praise, pride has to take a back seat. And if the enemy can't feed our pride because we are praising, then we have stopped the attacks and the strategy that he uses. Praise. The next thing that Paul addresses is practice. He says it in that latter portion of what he says. He said, everything you saw me do, everything you learned from me, put into practice. Practice serving. Practice loving. Practice sacrificing. Practice listening. Practice caring. Practice being compassionate. Ultimately, Paul is saying, practice being Jesus. Don't just talk about it, live it. Every single day that you begin to serve and care and love other people, the harder it is for you to be full of pride. Humility has to fill your spirit and your heart as you begin to serve the people around you. Paul says, put it into practice. Follow me as I follow Christ, he would say in another letter to the church, the Corinthian church. And he would say this because he's continuing to put before us, don't just talk about these things. Don't just come into a gathering like this or to come online for just a moment of your week, but put it into practice. Because in humility we serve. In humility we love one another. I don't look at myself as better than you. Because as soon as I do, pride begins to come in. And if the enemy allows the feeding of the pride to take place and I allow it, then what begins to happen? Spiritual attacks. That's what begins to happen. It begins with your your pride being fed. And so we're not going to do that. We're gonna set up these defense mechanisms. And you can see here what it is. Love God, love others. It's pretty simple, but we make it very complicated If you genuinely praise God and recognize what he's done, you genuinely love others and care for them and serve them, then the enemy cannot feed your pride effectively. If we live this way, we have set up a defense mechanism against this attack. And that's how we know when attacks are coming. When we say, what about me? What about me? What do I get? I deserve something. And as that begins to take place, the enemy goes, oh, I got him now. I got her now. That's when relationships start to crumble. That's when conflict begins to happen. What about me? And right here, Paul says, we're not gonna do that. My final exhortation to you is rejoice. Again, I will say to you in all things, always rejoice. Never let praise leave your lips or stop leaving your lips and never stop practicing what you've learned from me. Practicing what we believe assists in keeping the soul grounded in humility so as to combat the attack of pride in your life. We do not want the enemy to feed our pride. But when you begin to feel that, today you know that the enemy is moving. He's moving on you. He's moving on your home. 
He's moving on your workplace. We're aware, and if we're aware, we can adjust. And so the enemy has no more power. The next thing that Paul addresses is the fact that the enemy will attempt to starve our peace. And he says, here's how we will defend it. Pray. The text reads, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He goes on to state, finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I want to address the fact that Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Because that is probably one of the hardest statements that I've ever tried to apply to my life as a Christian. What do you mean don't be anxious about anything? Because we all have one thing. And we could admit that you got one thing that makes you anxious. I don't know what your thing is, but there's one thing that pushes our buttons that we get nervous about. Maybe it's finances. A lot of people have that button of finances. If I don't got enough money, then I'm anxious, anxiety, worry, and stress comes in. Some people, it's relationship. Right now in your home life, there's a, an anxiety that comes out because that's your button. And there's a specific thing that's going on in your relationship right now that's causing you to have anxiety. Whatever it is for you, you have one thing. But Paul says that I can't be anxious about anything. What are you talking about? I, I cannot do this. And so I began to dive into this text to help us a little bit more this morning. The way that it is written here is important for us. See, God isn't saying you won't feel anxiety. But he is saying, don't be anxious. There is a distinct and very important difference for you and I as believers. The language lends itself to a state of being. Because there will be moments, because we live in a fallen world, and we are broken people, that we will feel anxiety. But the movement from feeling anxiety to being anxious is my internalizing and accepting of that anxiety. And what does Paul say? When you feel that anxiety, he says, pray. Don't be anxious. I, I've, I felt it, but I'm not going to be anxious. I have some anxiety, and guess what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to give it to God. Here you go. I don't have to carry this. This isn't mine any longer. And as soon as I do that, now I'm not going to be anxious because I've given my burden, my worry, and my moment of anxiety to my heavenly Father. And in that moment, what does it say? You will receive peace that transcends all understanding. The enemy will attempt to starve your peace. And it comes about in many ways, shapes, and forms. Anxiety is probably the most predominant one. But sometimes you're depressed. Sometimes you're just worried. Sometimes it's stress. Sometimes it looks different. But it's the same thing. It's this attempt to starve your peace. And right here, Paul says, he says, as soon as you feel it, you pray. As soon as you have that moment come upon you, you know 
that the enemy is attempting to attack. And we have a blessing in our life because we have relationship with our heavenly father to be able to say, here you go, God. I can't do it. I don't know what to do with it. I'm worried about it, but I don't have to carry it because I can give it to him. In this moment, Paul says, this is the best defense against the enemy's strategy to starve your peace. His prayer, he says, is petition and thanksgiving. It's asking in humility. He says, don't ever forget, we're rejoicing. We're, we're coming in and saying, God, I need you. Instead of going, going, God, why don't you fix this? Where are you at? There's still a humility, because we don't want pride to creep in, remember? He says, we come with humility before the Father in thanksgiving, thank you, Lord for loving me. Thank you for being here with me right now that I am never far from you, but I need your help. And I make the request in thanksgiving. And as I do so, I hand that over to God and my peace begins to grow. Peace that transcends understanding. This is what they talk about when Christians are going through difficult things but can be peaceful. This is what was happening when my parents were taking care of my brother who was dying of cancer. And in the midst of those moments, they could look at people and say, well, we trust God. And it would blow my mind and say, I don't understand. How are you peaceful right now? How in the midst of knowing you're going to bury your son can you be peaceful? And they say, Micah, because we've given it to God. And in the midst of giving it to God, there was a peace that transcends all understanding. And people will not get it. It will blow your minds when you do it. But guess what? You're already one step ahead of the enemy as they attempt to attack you. He will not defeat us. He will not cause us to lose sight of our mission. He will not break us down because we will have peace that passes understanding through Jesus Christ. This is how. This is what Paul is saying. He said, be careful, the enemy will attempt to feed your pride. Be careful, the enemy is going to attempt to starve your peace. But here's some things that we will do. This is your field guide to this battle. And here's what it says. I heard a preacher recently say that when we feel the anxiety, it is like a rumble strip on the side of a highway. It's a warning moment for us that you feel that, and, and again, you know your button, you know what it f is for you, and when that button starts to hit, or we feel that rumble, we know that we're getting ready to move into the ditch. And see, the enemy wants us to allow that rumble to be a part of our life, but we are going to say, God, here, take the wheel. And in those moments, we shift back to the road rather than going into the ditch. And so we know that the enemy is attacking. There's this warning sign. When pride rises and peace lowers, those two things are a warning. It's our rumble strip to know we're getting ready to leave the path that God has for us. As simplistic as that may seem, it's extremely profound. It is the way that things work. If you were to apply this, you would see that you would begin to win more and more of those battles. I love the way that in the midst of this, he doesn't say that the peace will just come, but actually the peace guards our heart. Again, coming back to the idea and the illustration that we're in a battle, that guarding of our hearts, it showcases the defense against the strategy. Do you see it now? Do you see what Paul's been telling us all along? If we do these things, if, if we pray, then peace will guard our hearts. 
He goes on to say, if you praise and you practice, then the peace of God, or excuse me, God of peace will be with you. He, he speaks about this idea of the defense being around us in such a manner that the enemy can't get in. That peace, that love of God that wraps around us in the midst of these moments of employing these defensive strategies will continue to guard our hearts. And that's an important thing for you and I. Now, before I mentioned that Paul says rejoice, and I put that into two categories which pretty much were praise and practice. In the same way, when he says pray, he gives us a couple things. He doesn't just give us one. The first one we just talked about, he talks about fellowship of prayer. But the last portion, he talks about focus and the power of focus that you and I have. You say, he says, think on these things, is his statement. And for the sake of time, I cannot go through every one of these things and what they mean, but it is very important and I encourage you to study it. But he says, think on these things, things that are true. Noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on these things. The first thing I want to point out is the fact that Paul says you have a choice on what you focus on. Did you know that? Because the enemy tries to tell you you don't. That the stress will be so predominant in your mind and your heart that it will take up focus and the more focused you are on some of those stressors in the midst of even trying to accomplish your mission, you lose sight of what God is trying to do and ultimately you make missteps and the attack is on. But he says, you get to choose what you focus on. I don't have to focus on the lies. I can focus on what's true. In the midst of the most chaotic of battles, you have the ability to choose what you focus on. Now, this is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. We're not strong enough to choose the right things to focus on many times. But because of the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus does, again, coming back to that centrality of Christ, we know that we have, through his power, because I'm not alone, the ability to choose what I focus on. It actually says, and Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I have a choice on what consumes my mind and what I focus on. And I, because of Jesus, working through the Apostle Paul to write this letter, am aware that the enemy will attempt to starve my peace. And so I'm going to focus on the things that are true, the things that are noble, the things that are right. And as we do that, I'm setting up a defense because there's no way that the enemy can win as I set up these defenses against his strategies to feed my pride and starve my peace. As a young man, I got married um, very young. I was 19 years old, and if you've been around me, you might know that. I've shared that a couple different times because it makes for some very interesting stories uh, when you get married at 19. <laughs> I got married at 19. My wife was 18. We had four children very early on in our marriage, one right after the other. 
And I found myself in some of the most stressful times of my life. Times that maybe you're familiar with. Times where it's just so much that it begins to just beat you down. I was in the middle of losing my home. Financially, I was losing everything. On top of that, I began to feel this anxiety rising up and feeling worthless as a man. Feeling like, man, there's no way that I, I, you know, my wife could ever love me. There's no way that God is proud of me right now. I, I, I'm an embarrassment. I just felt this anxiety filling me up. And I went and I found medication and, and they helped me. But here's the thing. I'm all for the medication, but I never worked to eliminate the spiritual anxiety I was feeling. This idea of combating the anxiety, the worry, and the stress that was coming my way, never in my mind did I think, well, I need to do this in a spiritual manner. I'll find things that I can do myself to fix this situation. Because in my mind, I thought, well, all I need to do is make more money and calm my nerves, and maybe I can numb some of this feeling a little bit, and then I'll be fine. And then I started going, you know what? I don't understand why my wife is not helping me more. I'm stressed right now, I'm dealing with a lot, I'm having to take medication for all of my anxiety and all of my depression. How come she's not helping me? Now forget the fact that she had four kids in six years, okay? Because that must not matter to me when I'm a 19 year old boy. And I'm literally in these moments as a young man going, what about me? In my relationship, I began to say those things. So not only is my peace being lost over here, but the enemy saw the crack in my defenses and he began to feed my pride over here. And I looked at my wife and I said, I'm not staying here. I'll be better without you. My wife and I were separated. I thought I can do this. I lived in my car little tiny car and I'm a big man (laughs) and um, I met a guy and he said I'll give you a place to live you just gotta fix it up I said okay I can do this I can do this again not worried about my spirituality not worried about the battle I was more worried about me my peace and dealing with the things that I want to deal with so I go and I stay in this place that this gentleman gives me I think I'm going to fix it It's a room pretty much with a bunch of plywood around the walls. I laid on the floor in a sleeping bag and I made friends with a raccoon and a bat that night. Freezing cold in West Virginia. And the Lord had grace in my life. And he brought me back. It was the worst time of my life. And if I had known then what I know now. The enemy would have never brought me to those places. If I had known then what I know right now, as soon as I felt my peace being starved, I would have hit my knees in prayer. If I knew what I know right now about what the enemy tries to do to disrupt our homes, to disrupt our faith walk, to disrupt everything around us in such a manner to stop us from fulfilling what God has called me to do because he didn't want me raising my four boys. He didn't want me living in my house with a happy marriage. He didn't want me standing here telling you today what I'm telling you. He tried to stop me back then for moments like this right now. 
And if I had known then what I know now, I would have not let my pride be fed and said, what about me? I would have never let that moments of circumstantial things disrupt my eternal purpose. Because these things are temporary. And they sting and they hurt. And I'm not downplaying your struggles. But what I'm telling you is that when you feel those moments when your pride is being fed. And you feel those moments when your peace is being starved. You now are going to go, wait a minute. Micah talked about this. I remember it. Paul wrote about it, and you're going to go, I'm not going to lose this fight. I know the fight is on. I'm aware, so now I can adjust, and I begin to praise, and I begin to pray. I begin to love those in the life and the world around me, and as I do so, the enemy's attacks are stopped instantaneously, and I am victorious in Christ Jesus, and our homes are safer. Our relationships are protected. Our children all of those things now when the enemy comes for them are ours. The spiritual battle against our soul begins when the enemy starts to feed our pride and starve our peace. We must be aware as soldiers in the army of the Lord that this is the strategy of the enemy. Everything you can mention to me will fall into these two categories. Even when we began to sin and addiction and things like that began to show up, it is either one or the other. It is this moment of being prideful or a moment of not having peace. Everything that the enemy does comes in these two ways. We can and we will establish a defense against this strategy through rejoicing and prayer. As I mentioned to you, rejoicing is both praise and practice. Prayer is both fellowship with God and focus on the right things. But we will never forget, the Lord is near. You don't have to do it yourself. The Lord is near. Let us live in him. And as we do so, may we thwart the attacks of the enemy because we now know when he is attempting to advance. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching by Pastor Micah and thank you for your continued support in this ministry. Your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible. For more information about our church and other ministries, visit us online at liftchurch.com.